I don't think we've explicitly said this before, but you might have noticed something new. Uh, we have been doing what some would call pastoral prayers uh, at the beginning of sermons. Uh, Pete has prayed, I have prayed, Eddie has prayed, and, and we're going to continue that tradition. They might not be every single week, uh, but we are going to do a pastoral prayer tonight, uh, and specifically over something tragic that has happened in the last uh, several weeks. Perhaps you saw on the news that uh, Brackenridge Police Chief Justin McIntyre was, was murdered uh, as he was doing his duty to, to protect and serve. Uh, one of the gentlemen in this room right now is, is Gus Lucas. Uh, he's an officer as well, and he was in that funeral, uh, and, and it hits home right here at Eternal City Church. In addition, Aaron Lamont Swan, who did the shooting, also got shot, and he is now dead. And so two families have lost someone. Uh, mothers are, are grieving. Children are grieving. Uh, Chief McIntyre had four kids. Uh, it's sad. And so we want to pray for Pittsburgh, for Pittsburgh police, for these families. Uh, and, and we are trying to do our small part here at Eternal City Church by discipling and mentoring young people. I mean, this is why, in part, we, we do the Foundry, uh, which is our men's ministry, so that there could be a community surrounding men. You know, you don't often hear about women doing mass shootings or getting in police shootings. It's, it's most often always men. And so we, we need to be forming men in the image of Christ. And that's what the church should be about. We should be mentoring young people and showing them what, it, what it's like to live a godly life. Uh, and so let's pray. Please pray with me. Um, and then we'll jump into, into Genesis after we pray. Uh, you know what? I just realized we actually have two officers in, in this room tonight. Officer Ford, uh, who's not on duty right now, so he's just Ford, right? Uh, Ford is here as well. And uh, he serves in, in downtown Pittsburgh as a police officer. So we can pray for these two gentlemen who are right here in our midst, that God would protect them and fill them with his spirit as they are out serving and protecting. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Father, we thank you that uh, you are our protection. You are our fortress. You are our shield. And Father, we don't understand often your providence that allows evil to go on display in our midst. And we've seen this happen even within this last month here in the city of Pittsburgh. Father, we do pray for Justin McIntyre's family, his kids, his wife. God, would you please draw near to them? Would you comfort them? Would you reveal yourself to them that they might come to know you and love you and know your presence and peace? Father, we pray for Aaron Swan's family, God, for his mother and his family and his friends, God, would you please draw near to them as they are also grieving the loss of an image bearer. God, would you please save in that family as well? Would you draw near to show the power of God unto salvation in Jesus Christ in the gospel? Father, we do pray for, for our two men in this room right now who serve day in and day out, we pray for Gus. We pray for Ford. God, would you protect them as they go out and risk their lives to serve and protect others? God, would you fill them with your spirit, protect them by your angels, 
And we pray that they would have wisdom and discernment as they seek to serve. God, we pray for more Christians in the police force in Pittsburgh and all over the United States. God, that you would have a revival happen even among the police, that men and women would be full of your Holy Spirit as they go out to serve and protect. And we pray, God, for churches all across Pittsburgh that they would be about training and, and mentoring young men to know you, to love you, to be full of your spirit, and to walk with you. God, would the church step up and do their duty to disciple as you've commanded us to do. Father, we pray that this church, Eternal City, would be about that, that we could display the grace of God, that we could display the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We would be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God, would we show the world what it is to be image bearers after Jesus. We pray, God, be with these two families and be with us now as we jump into your word and look at the Imago Day. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So tonight, we are continuing in our series in Genesis. This is message number three. This series is called Jesus in Genesis, and our aim every week is to show you Christ in the book of Genesis. And he is veiled or in the shadows, but trust me, he is there. Uh, as I believe it was Martin Luther said something like, the Bible must be read forward, but it can only be understood backwards. And so as we have the revelation of the New Testament, the New Testament opens up and reveals what was in shadows and what was hidden in the Old Testament. And as Peter says, even, even the prophets who wrote, they, they, they wanted to understand the things they were writing and about the things they were predicting. And we have the gift of the New Testament to be able to understand in greater depth the old. So tonight, we thought it wise to focus on two verses two of the most significant verses in the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So much meaning and implications and depth is packed into these two verses. We could do an entire series on these two verses, not just a message, but a series. And so what we're going to attempt to do is show you, if you will, I'm going to attempt to show you a biblical theology of the image of God and try to show you some of its implications for our lives, okay? How does this apply to what we just prayed for? Well, those two men who are now lost were both in the image of God. And in the image of God, both having value, dignity, and worth, okay? So let me read it, and then we're going to run through and hopefully land where you are encouraged and built up and strengthened and you want to go further. Maybe an appetizer that you would be ready for the meal. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 reads this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Wayne Grudem is a theologian and author who I find very helpful, very clear, and very biblical and textual. He has this one-sentence definition of what it is to be in the image of God, and I will give it to you. Wayne Grudem says, the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. What does it mean? It means that man is like God and represents God. Now, unpacking that sentence, again, we'll take this whole message. But in part, what it means is that human beings of all creation, all the birds, all the fish, all of the livestock, and all of the creeping things, angelic beings, everything that God created, or out of everything that God created, only one creation bears his image, and that is human beings. This has so many implications for how you think of yourself and others. Again, it would take an entire series. Volumes have been written about the image of God or the Imago Dei. When human beings fell into sin in Genesis 3, this is a coming sermon, uh, we did not cease to be in the image of God. Okay? So God made Adam and Eve, both male and female, in the image of God, bearing dignity and equality and worth. And just because we fell into sin by our first father, Adam, we did not cease to bear the image. But the image of God is most definitely marred, distorted, and blurred. Marred, distorted, and blurred. You can't quite see it, but you can see it. As Adam and Eve had children, and their children had children, and their children had children, and they began to do uh, what God commanded, which is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. As they did, God's original plan was to fill the earth with image bearers that would reflect him to other conscious creatures, including angelic beings. Well, it got bad. It got very bad. Um, and I just want to prove before we talk about the bad uh, that even after the fall, we are still in God's image. The genealogy of Adam uh, is in Genesis 5, and here's what we see. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. Now, this is after Cain and Abel, uh, probably after other sons and daughters that we don't know about. People often ask, well, where did Cain get his wife? You know, Cain has a wife, and we only know about Cain and Abel and Seth. Well, it was one of his sisters, and we just don't know about how many kids Adam and Eve had and then how many kids their kids had, perhaps a niece he married. We, we, don't, we don't know. But the families were designed by God to multiply. Now, it is 
illegal now in God's eyes to marry your sister or to marry your sister-in-law. Like that's forbidden. But this is way before the law of Moses. And this is way before that uh, it was prohibited. And so here we have Adam having another son and his name is Seth and he's in his image. Now, if Adam was created in the image of God, Seth is in Adam's image after the image of God. Now, it gets so bad that in Genesis 6, again, a coming sermon, that God has to wipe out the entire human race. He cleanses the earth of all but eight people. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight people in total are saved, and the whole earth is wiped out. Uh, The description of human beings at that time is all the thoughts of every person were only evil continually. And it was a terrible place to live before Genesis 6. So by the sixth chapter of the Bible, the earth is full of wicked people whose thoughts were only evil continuously. And God destroys the earth with a flood. Now, after the flood, God wants to start over with Noah. And he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's the same command that was given to Adam. And God wants to fill the earth with image bearers. And here, what you'll see in Genesis 9, 5 to 6, is that human beings after the fall and even after the flood are still in the image of God. And for your lifeblood, this is God speaking to Noah, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Uh, You take life, God says, that life should be taken. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now that's the grounding for why this is so. Because an attack on the image of God is actually an attack on God himself. Which is why Satan hates human beings. Because we of all creatures bear God's image and we keep multiplying all over the earth, eight billion of us now, all bearing the image of God. Yet, distorted, marred, and blurred. We still bear his image. And as Grudem said, we were made to be like God and to represent him. Now, to be like him is to display his, what theologians call, communicable attributes, meaning you can communicate them. Communicable, communicate. So, if God is loving, human beings love. If God is the creator, human beings create. If God is just, human beings have a sense of justice, and so on and so forth. In all the ways that human beings are like God, that is in God's image. Intellect, emotion, will, purpose, reasoning, and on and on we could go. Being able to create, procreate even. Uh, So, This is what it is to be in the image of God. It's a very broad theological concept. But it also means that every single person inside the womb and outside the womb 
has dignity, value, and worth. Worth is not bestowed on people by government. Worth is not bestowed on people by their net worth. Worth is not bestowed on people by their fame, like how many TikTok views they have. And isn't it funny, and and, and I'm tempted by this too, we see somebody who's famous and we imagine like that's an important person and we want to like get a selfie with them, you know? But the average person on the street, we're like, you're nothing. Or we look in the mirror worse and say, you're nothing. Meanwhile, you, you, friend, in this room, bear the same dignity and value and worth as the wealthiest person on the planet or the most talented basketball player, baseball player, football player, or the person who has the most YouTube followers, subscribers. Okay? You have the same value. Why? Because your value is not determined by anything external. It is determined by God bestowing upon you his very image. That needs to be grounded in your thinking, and then it needs to make its way out in the way that you look at other people, treat people, and think about other people. Now, we're going to get to implications at the end, but we need to run through some texts first, okay? Let's run through some Bible here. So we see here in Genesis 9, after the flood, remember before the flood, Adam and Eve, both equal, male and female, made in God's image, bearing dignity, value, and worth. And after God cleanses the earth with the flood, humans are still bearing the image of God. Now, the New Testament also affirms this. This is not an Old Testament concept. Uh, This is also found in the New Testament. James, uh, New Testament wisdom literature, James says this, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. Now he's speaking of Christians here. Christians bless God with the tongue. And with that same tongue, we curse people. Look, made in the likeness of God. Now likeness and image are probably meaning the same thing. Okay, it's Hebrew parallelism. The the Hebrew language does this often. It sets up two things side by side, and they mean the same thing for emphasis. So, for example, soul and spirit. I do not believe those are two separate parts of your human being. I believe they're both referring to the immaterial part of you. You are body and soul or body and spirit. Soul, spirit, same thing, talking about the immaterial part of you. So if you died tonight... I hope that and pray that for none of you. But if you did and you're a Christian, your body would stay here and your soul forward slash spirit, same thing, would go to be with God. That's what Ecclesiastes says. Okay? So that's Hebrew parallelism. Uh, You could see it in the book of Hebrews where we are said to, the word of God is said to, to pierce bone and joint and marrow judging the thoughts and intents of the heart. All those mean the same thing. Bone, joint, marrow, it means the inside person. Thoughts, intents, that's motives. That means your, your inner thinking and logic and reasoning and desires, okay? It's Hebrew parallelism, okay? So here, likeness of God means image of God. Likeness of God, image of God. So get that uh, in your thinking. So James says, uh, with the tongue, we curse people made in God's image. And, And notice the implication here. We curse God by cursing his image. How can you bless God with the tongue 
and then curse his image with that same tongue. James is trying to point out inconsistency here. Now, I know what some of you were thinking. You're like, you don't know my neighbor. My neighbor's a jerk. Or you don't know my husband. Like, he deserves to be cursed. <laughs> or, or, or you don't know my kids. They're little devils. Okay? They, they deserve curse, curses, you know? Uh, was it, I'm an 80s kid. Was it Gargamel who used to say curses? Can someone do the voice? No one wants to do the voice? Okay. Smurfs, for, the, for those of you who didn't grow up in the 80s. Okay. We curse people made in God's image. Okay? And, and, and James is trying to say, no, this shall not be. And we need to recognize in ourselves, we often elevate ourselves over other people, and we think ourselves higher than them, and we feel like you deserve bad and evil and disaster. Either because you're rude to me or you're a jerk or at some, some out of jealousy and covetousness just because they have more than you and you're upset that you don't have what they have and so you want to see disaster befall them so they could be at your level. Friends, that's wicked. Like not only is coveting a violation of the 10th commandment, but you're also then saying, God, you did me wrong because God is sovereign over all things. Your intellectual capacity, your net worth, your good looks or not good looks, God is sovereign over all of it. Okay? And so to be in the image of God, again, is God bestowing on you dignity, value, and worth that no one can take away. No one can take it. Even those who are laying in hospital beds unconscious, not able to even move, they are still in the image of God, having dignity, value, and worth, even though they can't contribute anything to society, and we would say are actually draining society. Why, do they, why should we spend resources keeping that person alive in the hospital? Why? Because they are in the image of God, deserving dignity, value, and worth. Okay? Uh, and, and so again, the implications for this are wide and vast. If we would have not sinned, human beings, if Adam would not have sinned and then passed that sin nature down to all of his children, we would image God perfectly. We would show each other in the world what God is like. We would say, God is like, look at me. It would be like looking in a mirror and seeing a reflection of God. Not physically, because as John 4.24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Not physically, but in his communicable attributes, the way that he loves, the way that he is creative, the way that he cares for others and serves others, the way that he displays beauty, and so on and so forth. We would represent God, and we still do that to a degree, even with a marred, distorted, and fuzzy image. This is what happened. Romans 3.23 says it like this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we sin, we fail to represent and image God. In fact, we more represent and image the devil. So you've heard the Latin for image of God. It's imago Dei. When we sin, we're more like the imago Diablo in the image of Satan. 
Now, this text in John 8.44, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of hostile Jewish people who want to see his downfall, and he can see their intents. You know, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit's power, can read people's minds, read their motives, uh, and he knows that they want to kill him. They have desires to see him wiped off the face of the earth. And so here's what we see. He's speaking to them, says, you are of your father the devil, and your will, your desire, your purposing is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, even great liars and manipulators still have some truth in them, but not in Satan. No truth. All lies, all manipulation, all maliciousness. No good, not even a beam of light. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Every time you deceive or lie, you are imaging Satan. Every time you desire the harm of another human being, you are imaging Satan. Every time you sin against God, you are imaging Satan. So it's kind of like this. You're of your father, the devil. Notice how your will is to do his desires. When your desires line up with Satan's desires, you are imaging Satan. Now, when our desires image God's desires, we are imaging God. And thus, Christians are growing, what the Bible would call sanctification. We are growing to be less like Satan, less like a sinful human being, and we are becoming more in the image of Christ, who is the perfect image of God. So as the first Adam failed to image God miserably, the second Adam came to accomplish what the first did not and could not. And so we see in Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Remember John 4.24 earlier, God is spirit, the Father. The Father is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. But Jesus, who was also an omnipresent spirit, localized and became His own creation. As my friend Timothy Brendel said in a rap, let me ask you if you seem confused with this. God passed through his own creature's uterus. I admit this is odd, yet the Bible can persuade me. An omnipotent God crying as a baby? And I could go on, but I won't, okay? And, and the idea here is God became us. That's amazing. We formed out of the dust, out of the dirt. We really are dust. But God bestows on the dust his image. And then God himself becomes this very image through the image, Mary, the virgin. It's amazing. And so God localizes and is now even resurrected and glorified and ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. Listen, a Jewish male human God-man. 100% God, 100% man. Hypostatic union, meaning two natures and one being. That's Jesus. You can touch Jesus. Like, 
pat him on the shoulder, give him a hug, or as he said to his disciples, feel my wrists, place your hand in my side where the spear was, feel the scar. It was real, it was physical. Remember, after the resurrection, he says, does any of you have anything to eat? And he, and he eats some fish. And it doesn't just go through him and fall on the floor like he's a ghost. You know, he takes a bite and boom, the fish sandwich is on the floor. No, he has a digestive system as a resurrected God-man. That's amazing. In fact, we are going to eat glorified food at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the great resurrection, celebrating the recreation of all things. Like, we're going to eat. Now, I don't know if we're going to go to the bathroom. Maybe our digestive system is so great it'll just use it all, and we won't have to. I don't know. I have no idea. That's for your imagination. But here, Jesus, in Colossians 1.15, this, in this text, He is the Creator. All things were made through Him. And yet here, He becomes one of His own creation. He comes in the image of us, but He comes to perfectly image God. Look at Hebrews 1, 2-3. In these last days, He, this is God the Father, that's He there, has spoken to us by His Son, capital S, Jesus, whom He appointed the heir of all things. That's what it means to be the firstborn Uh, through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, meaning He shines God's glory. But look at this. And the exact imprint of His nature. He perfectly displays God. But not only does He perfectly image God, look at this. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Not just our solar system, not just the Milky Way galaxy, but all the billions of galaxies. And if you have Brett's worldview, he upholds the multiverse. Jackie too? All right. All right. I've been watching too many Marvel movies, homie. Pretty soon he's going to have DC and Marvel colliding into one crazy world. I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. Now, look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he says, of non-Christians, those who can't see the glory of God, he says this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now, the God of this world is Satan, whom we just talked about in John 6, uh, 8.44 the one who lies and speaks out of his own nature. And when he lies, he he speaks his own language. Here, God is in the business of blinding minds. Satan not only seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, but he also seeks to blind you and keep you blinded. To what? To keep them from seeing. What? The light. The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, to keep you from seeing who Jesus is and the glory of what He came to do, which is what we call the good news, the gospel. And look what Paul says about Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus Christ came 
Not with a distorted image. Not with a marred image. Not with a blurred image. Jesus fully radiates and reflects like a crystal clear, just windexed mirror, God. And when you see Jesus, you see God. This is what Jesus said. In John 14, 8 to 11, this is the Last Supper. He's speaking to his disciples. He's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and then to the cross. And he's sharing with his disciples important last words. And Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. We, we want to see God. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. If you could just, you know, Moses asked to see the glory of God, and, and Moses saw his back. He saw the trail of God's glory. Show us the Father. And look at Jesus' words to him. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? Hasn't it been three years? And you still don't know me? How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What does that mean? That means that Jesus didn't say, Philip, don't you realize I am the Father? He didn't say that. That would be a heresy. Jesus is separate from the Father as the Father and Son are separate from the Spirit. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, separate yet one God, the mystery of the Trinity. But Jesus says, look, when you see me, what do you also see? The Father. I came to display or image the Father perfectly. And Philip, when you look at me, you're seeing the Father. I love that. Why? Because Jesus looked out on the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw hungry crowds and what did he do in response? He fed them. He saw ignorant and blinded crowds and what did he do? He taught them truth. He saw blind men, and what did he do? He gave them sight. He saw deaf and mute men and women, and what did he do? He, he gave them sight and speech. This is the Father. What Jesus came to do was show us in physical form what God is like, what we should have done, how we should have cared for one another, how we should have loved one another, how we should respect one another, how we should dignify one another, how we should care. Jesus fulfilled what Adam failed to do and all his children since. Jesus came to accomplish what Adam failed to do. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. He's talking about the Holy Spirit now, okay? So here you have the Father, you have Jesus, and as he says, the Father who dwells in me, he's talking about the Spirit, okay? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's talking about his miracles, raising people from the dead, casting out demons, uh, stilling the storm with a word, and on and on. Jesus does these works that point to who He is. He is the Creator God, come to display the Father and to make a way of salvation. Now, here's good news for Christians. Jesus didn't just come to image God perfectly. 
He came to fulfill or accomplish what we failed to do in imaging God. But not only that, He then begins to slowly restore the image in us. Friends, here's the good news. If you're a Christian tonight, you are being remade, rebuilt, changed, and transformed back into that original image that was lost in Genesis 3 at the fall. And one day, He will accomplish it. This is all over the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we, Christians, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into what? Into the same image. God is transforming Christians as they see the glory of God, meaning they see Him for who He really is. Now here's something interesting about the glory of God. Uh, We were made to glorify God. What is the chief end of man, the catechism says? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Okay, That is our purpose for being born. Glorify God. How? By imaging Him. We fail to image Him, and so we fail to glorify Him. But when we do image Him, guess what happens? Glory. Now, when we stare at God's glory, or we could say recognize it, God is glorious whether people recognize it or not. That's the good news. Okay? When God throws a sunset out there and it lasts for like three minutes, and you're like, that's amazing. And people attribute it to nature. Look at Mother Nature. Isn't she glorious? God is not being like, really? I want that glory. You know, he, he's not needy. He, what he is, is I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump out on a limb here. What I think God is doing at that moment is he is feeling, I better not say that. The theologians in here are going to smack me around. Here's, here's, here's a better way to say it. We are the one losing when we fail to recognize God's glory, not Him. God knows that when we are recognizing and enjoying His glory, we are at maximum purpose. And you're just utterly failing when you're attributing His glory to lesser and created things. Okay? And so, when we stare at the glory of God or behold His glory, we are being changed and transformed from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Meaning the Holy Spirit is the one who does the change and transformation in us. Colossians 3.10 says the same thing. And have put on the new self. Christians have put on the new self, which is being renewed. That means nude again. Nude again renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator its creator so as we grow in the understanding of god and his word who he is who we are what he likes what he dislikes how to glorify him how to not sin against him and we walk in those ways by the holy spirit the image is restored and it is being restored slowly romans 8:29 For those whom he foreknew, the he is God, and the foreknowing is choosing to have an intimate relationship with beforehand. And that's what that means. And we could unpack that, but we just don't have time. 
Those whom he foreknew, those whom he chose to have an intimate relationship with beforehand, he also predestined, predetermined the destiny. For what? To be conformed to the image of his son. For Christians, the predestining is not just to heaven and salvation, it's to Jesus' likeness. We're predestined in order to look like Christ. The word here, conformed, is somorphous in the Greek. And you can hear morph in there. Somorphous. To morph, to change, to shape shift, to change forms. It means having the same form as another or similar in form. What are we to be similar in form to? Jesus, who imaged God perfectly. This is what Adam was created to do and failed. And yet Jesus came and did not fail. And we, in Christ, are being restored back to the original image that we might reflect God perfectly. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, 1 Corinthians 15, 49, that's Adam, the man of dust. We, sh we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus, the second Adam. This is where we're headed, men and women alike. Now, image not as in look like him, okay? Image as in character, quality, displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, not sinning. <laughs> First John 3.2, John says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. So even in this world, current state, we are God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We're going to be something very different in glorification. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So there's this mysterious thing that's going to happen to us that when we see Jesus, transformation is going to happen. And we are going to be like Him. It's amazing. All right, now, with my last eight minutes, I want to unpack seven implications and applications. And I will accomplish this in eight minutes. All right, number one, you ready? This means that men and women are equal in dignity in value and worth without doing away with distinct differences in biology and roles that God designed. Okay? What does that mean? That means that men and women are not the same. And, I, and I, I, that sounds so obvious, but we're in a weird culture, guys. Okay, And God designed us to be different on purpose to display His glory. So we could say it like this. Adam could not image God perfectly because God is not a singularity. God is a tri-unity. Isn't that interesting? It takes two of the same being, God is the same in being, but distinct in person to be able to image God. 
Male and female image God perfectly. Okay? And, and I know that's... Some of the theologians are like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, go with me, okay? Same in being, human being, different in person, both maleness and femaleness find its origin in God. And He creates us in His image. Remember what God said. So imagine this. Adam by himself in the garden. It's gorgeous and beautiful. Every kind of fruit tree imaginable. All the nuts and berries. And here, the animals are on display and he's naming them. Aardvark. Antelope. Platypus. Right? And he's, he's naming them. Okay? Giraffe. And all the animals pass by and he's like, wait a minute. None like me. And God says this. I find this amazing. It is not good that man should be alone. And notice, this is after it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And all of a sudden, no sin in the world, Adam and God, and it's still not good. Why? Because Adam needed one like him and not like him to image God perfectly. And so friends, let us not, let not the Christian flatten the, the, the genders. Let us not do that. Because it glorifies God when women are women and men are men. And it definitely does not glorify God when we want to do the change up. Or when men want to be more womenly or women want to be more manly. No. Glorify God by embracing your gender and living in it. Now listen, gender dysphoria is a real thing, and I'm not talking about that right now, okay? If you have that and you're a Christian, there is Christian counseling for you. And I would encourage you, come and talk to me, okay? You will not be shunned or disrespected or disregarded. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our culture has a tendency to say anything a man can do, a woman can do, or better. <laughs> Listen, I can't have a baby. Praise God. I almost passed out as my wife was having one. The doctor's like, look, there's the head. I'm like, no. I'm... I don't want to look at that. Weak in the knees. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. That's on purpose. God is having gender roles on purpose. Uh, one MMA fighter said it like this. There are a few women who can beat up some men. But there are some men who can beat up all the women. That's on purpose. Now you think of Dwayne Johnson. Like a hundred women coming at him, right? And he's just like Black Adam, just crushing people. I do recommend that movie, by the way. I liked it. You get the point. Men can get huge, right? And women can get kind of huge. That's on purpose. Yeah, that's on purpose, okay? And we can go on and on. We are going to have a full message on, on gender and roles. I think, Justin, you got that one right? You're already working on that sermon? Already read 10 books? My man. All right. So, so here it is. 
the equality of men and women. In other words, women are not better than men, and men are not better than women. We are equal in God's image, in dignity, value, and worth. And that does not flatten the genders or gender roles. Okay? Number two, the equality of all ethnicities. What some wrongly call races. Okay? That's an unbiblical concept that was created for our destruction. There is one race, the human race. Okay? There is one image of God and many different ethnicities or national origins. Places on the globe where you were born. Distinct families. But friends, we all came from one man and one woman named Adam and Eve. And there's one race, the human race. And skin colors and different languages and different cultural expressions, they do not get to rise in superiority over any other one. Why? Because we're all in the image of God. That's why. And so here's where the modern secularist has a problem. Because they love equality, diversity, and inclusion, yet they embrace that we all came from slime. Where's the dignity, value, and worth in that? It's not there. In fact, if you have an atheistic, Darwinistic, materialistic worldview, I would argue from our very origin, we have been killing each other and the strong have been overpowering the weak for millennia And here we are. So why shouldn't it just continue? But see, the biblical worldview says no, no, no. You shed the blood of man, by man's blood shall the blood be shed because it's an attack on the image of God. People have worth because they are in God's image. Does that make sense? Okay, so why do we love all the ethnicities all over the globe? because they're all in God's image. Why do we not think ourselves superior to any other ethnicity or any other country of origin? Because all are made in God's image. Friends, Christians of all people should not be racist. That's a contradictory contradiction in terms. Christian racist. No such thing as a hyphen in there. That doesn't work. Now, it's a sin that can be repented of, and you could be changed and transformed out of your racism, if that's you tonight, okay? But for Christians, should not be named among us, right? And so perhaps tonight, you have some theological, biblical grounding for why that is so. Number three, the value and dignity of all human life, all, whether it's in the womb Because David said in Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You intimately formed my inward parts. Before a word was on my tongue, you knew it completely. All my days formed for me before one of them took place. Psalm 139 is, is a beautiful biblical image and grounding for life in the womb is in the image of God. Therefore, we should not take it under any circumstances. I don't care what trimester. Trimesters are made up. Conception, Imago Dei. That's biblical. 
And I know that's countercultural. You need to be changed and transformed. Have your view be biblical and not cultural. Hey, if you need to change your mind, you need to repent and change your mind. Okay? We can form our thinking and then its implications. We don't go with whatever's popular and whatever's going to get us smiles and hugs and likes. No. If God is for us, who can be against us? And though the world would say you are wrong, we can look in the Word and with grounding in Scripture say, though all be against me, I find solidness to stand on here in the Word of God. Okay. That also means, as I said earlier, on the deathbed. Okay? If they're breathing, they have dignity, value, and worth, even if they're not contributing anything to society, even if they're draining valuable, precious resources in a hospital. In the image of God, valuable. Okay? So you could say from the womb to the tomb. In the image of God, valuable. Number four, every human being has the capacity and command to glorify God by imaging Him rightly. Meaning, let me say that again. Listen closely. Every human being has the capacity and command to glorify God by imaging Him rightly. Meaning, every human being has purpose. Friends, if you're here tonight and you're like, I I'm just adrift in the sea on a piece of driftwood. I have no purpose. I have nothing to offer. Nothing to No, you're lying to yourself or you're believing the lies of the enemy. You are in the image of God and you were created to glorify Him, to live for Him, to have a relationship with Him, to do good and bless other image bearers. You have purpose. If you're alive, you have the most glorious purpose. Friends, to know and be in relationship with your Creator. That is the highest purpose of any human being. And that is for every one of you. You can know God, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, or if you're Brett, the multiverse, and know Him. And not just that, Him know you. You know how you can know about famous people and you feel like you know them? Like, yeah, I know all about LeBron James. And you can quote the stats and you got his shoes. And, like, and if he passed you by in the mall, and you were like, LeBron, he'd be like, I don't know you. But you know if you passed by God, he'd be like, my son, my daughter. <laughs> it's amazing. The most weighty being in the universe knows you. Not just knows you, calls you son, calls you daughter. That's amazing. Man, that's purpose. So don't believe the lie that you have no purpose. If you are breathing, you have massive purpose. Let us help you live out that purpose. Number five, I want to ask a question, and this might produce a little bit of guilt, and that's on purpose. In what ways are you imaging Satan rather than God? 
Okay? This, this application is repent. <laughs> repent, for those of you who are new to Christianity and church and the Bible, just means to turn the other direction and walk the other way. That's what it means. To turn around and go the other direction. Friends, if you are hating other image bearers, you need to turn from that. If you can't stand other people because of their attitude, because of their political affiliation, because of their level of reasoning, because of their drug of choice, listen, we can disapprove of people's actions and their ideologies without hating them and without seeing them as the enemy that must be destroyed. That is possible. I know for some of us, it's almost impossible to separate that. In fact, we're in such a culture now where most would have us think, if you disagree with me, you're the enemy, and I need to war against my enemy. And I need to gather others of the same thinking, and we can war against each other, like tribes. And we become very tribal. Culture loves that. Christians, no. We must not give in to imaging Satan. We must not tell lies. We must tell the truth. Why? Because Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth. I don't just tell the truth. I am truth embodied. And so when you image Jesus, you tell the truth, no matter the consequences. Now, if your wife asks you, do you like my new haircut? And you're like, you can say it in a way that is kind and loving without slamming her. Right? I'm not saying be tactful. Don't, don't be tactful. I'm not saying that, okay? My point is, let us stop imaging Satan and let us start imaging God. Okay? It, and, and the Holy Spirit has to bring that home to you because I don't know all your personal sins. I don't. You do. And I know what I need to repent of. And may God help us by His Spirit to turn. Because when we sin, we are not imaging God. We are imaging Satan. Number six. You were made to have dominion. So in the image of God means this. You were made to have dominion and rule over God's creation with love, care, concern, and kindness as a servant. Did you know that? This is what's called the cultural mandate. You were made by God to take what He has made and create human flourishing out of it. So, carpenters do this with trees, do they not? They take trees, they use a measuring tape and screws and saws, and they build dwelling places. Metal workers do this, and, and they fashion fords. And if you're wealthy, Ferraris. Okay? If you're Steve Jobs, you come up with iPods, iPads, and MacBooks. If you're the creator of the silicone chip, you take sand and you transform that into modern-day technology. Cooks do it when they take a raw mango and some coconut and some pineapple, throw that joint in a blender with some honey, a little bit of ice. Praise God, right? Like The smoothie maker... Barista is doing this. And on and on I could go. This is what you were made for, friends. To have dominion and create culture. Okay? How are you doing with that? Are, are you just sloppily, lazily existing? 
or are you taking dominion? Your job is your vocation by which God serves other human beings. Martin Luther is huge on this, the, the great reformer. He would say, remember, he's 1500s, okay? He would say that the milkmaid, you don't go to Aldi and pick up milk in Martin Luther's Germany. The milkmaid is God milking the cows. It's God through the milkmaid milking the cows. So we could, we could modernize that and say the truck driver delivering all the supplies to the grocery store is God's distribution vessel. So what is your vocation and how is it serving other image bearers? You glorify God by doing that. Number seven, last one. Be hopeful. Christians should be hope-filled. Hopeful? Filled with hope. Why? Because one day we are promised that we will be made fully into the image of God. Right now we struggle, we strive, we fall, we get bloody, we get black eyes in this wrestle, in this fight of faith. But friends, one day, the struggle, the fight, the striving is going to be over. And listen, we will be saved to sin no more. We will be fully glorified in the image of Jesus and sin and temptation won't even have a pull on us. As I've said before in here, I can't wait to see some of you in glory. You're all going to look like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Like, Evan, is that you? It's me. Bro, have you been working out? And he's like, no, man. I don't do push-ups. This is all natural, baby. You know? Evan, can you put your arms down? Not really. Looking like the rock. Yeah. Friends, we're, we're all going to look glorious. I can't wait. The body you've always dreamed of is coming for you. But even more than just having a fantastic body that works with creation, not against it, you're going to be living for the good of others and the glory of God continuously, automatically, without trying. I can't wait. And so I could go on and on with number seven, but we have to shut it down. And so again, remember, we started with saying there is a lot in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We've just kind of scratched the surface. Okay? Volumes and volumes have been written about the Imago Dei. Okay? What I want you to take away is this. We are all in the image of God. And though the image is distorted and marred and fuzzy, it is being refined and cleared up and remade because we're in Christ. Jesus accomplished what Adam failed to accomplish, and He did it for you and I. Positively. Negatively, He went to the cross and paid for all of our sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus negatively went to the cross, soaked up all of God's anger and wrath for sin for everyone who would trust in Him. And now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. 
And those who are in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are being changed and transformed oh so slowly, but really being transformed and changed into the image of Jesus, the man of heaven. And so we're going to celebrate Him now. We're going to sing Hallelujah, All I Have is Christ. One of my favorite songs that we sing here. And we're going to take communion together. Here's how communion works. It is one of the two ordinances or one of the two things Jesus told His church to do. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. For those who are in Christ, those who are Christians, those who have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, I would encourage you tonight, take communion with us. What you are doing is you are saying, I belong to Jesus. He died for me. And His body broken and blood shed, represented by this little uh, cracker and juice, are for me. Jesus died for me. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death together until He comes.